0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith, lived-in community.
1: So good to see you all this morning. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I just want you to know, like as um, socially distanced as we are in here, There's also um, a a group full in the overflow room right now. Guys, thank you so much just for your graciousness in, in meeting there. We also have a group watching online. Kids, let me talk to the kids for just a moment. Kids, we have sermon notes just for you. So make sure if you don't have sermon notes... You have mom or dad or an adult raise their hand we'll make sure to get you some sermon notes but that'll give you a place where you can keep up with the message where you can color as you go over the past few weeks we've been talking about the parables of jesus today we're actually going to start talking about the book of psalms watch this guys
2: we've been talking about poetry in the bible how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism these poems invite us into an experience to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles.
0: And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that is what we are going to look at here.
2: Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history.
0: Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry,
2: a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the
0: Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A
2: literary temple?
0: Yeah. so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You would see priests performing rituals. You would hear songs and prayers. All of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you are in his living room.
2: So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom.
0: Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile.
2: Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to
0: sing their story and say their prayers? That is where the book of Psalms comes in. It is a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there has been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. and
2: Here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms and so are exiled from the garden.
0: But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they are planted in the river of God's life.
2: Yeah, that is beautiful, but who is it supposed to be?
0: Well, remember that story in Genesis after humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that is what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness.
1: All right, so I had one of the kids ask me before the service started, hey, are we going to watch one of those shows again? And we're going to do the show, we're going to do the show, and we'll continue the show next week. You'll see the second part of the show, like, so there's a little bit more of the show left to see, and it's going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss the conclusion of, of the show. So I'm not, I'm not really a fan of riddles. Like, some of you are really, really good at it, because you're, you're good at looking for the detail and kind of sorting through the noise, Me, I think I'm way too creative, so like, I always want to think of these grandiose answers that are not it, like they're just not the answer. That's where my mind tends to go, but what we're going to do is we're going to kind of kickstart our morning with three riddles that will then connect with the message, Like, but some of you are really good at this, so pay close attention. Don't be me and get all creative and try to overthink it. Just pay attention. These are easy ones. Here we go. First one, David's parents have three sons. Snap, crackle, what's the name of the third? Yeah, you did what I do. Snap, crackle, pop. No, look. David's parents. So if David's parents, David's got to be one of them, snap, crackle, David, right? All right. Uh, It's pop. The kids are like, nope, it's still pop. You can word it however you want. So if you're running in a race and you pass the person who's in second place, you are now in? Right, that's what I would think for. No, if they're in second and you pass them, you're now in second. All right, you tracking now? I say the hardest for last. Here we go. It's a question you can ask all day long and get completely different but correct answers. What's the question? I don't know what y'all said at all. Can I have a snack? <laughs> That is a really good question. (laughs) Or it could be what time is it? Either one. (laughs) One of the two. Um I you know, I was talking to someone before the service. I am so gonna miss having a room full of kids with us because it it takes us directions I just don't anticipate in my mind. And I'm gonna have to start anticipating. That made my head sweat, (laughs) y'all. I didn't know how to recuperate from that one. Okay. What time is it? What time is it? So we know that we all have 24 hours in a day, right? Every single one of us, we have 24 hours a day. What you do with that time is what you prioritize, Right? So six months ago, you prioritized one thing. Six months ago with your time, you got up really, really early so you could shovel the snow. Right? That's what you did six months ago. You got up really early to go to school. You got up really early to go to work. You got up really early to put on 15 layers of clothes because your poodle, you may not have a poodle, but your dog needed to go on a walk because he could not stand to be inside one moment longer. That's what we did with our time. When you go on vacation, maybe there's a rule that you're not allowed to ask what time it is. Because you're like, we're free. We're not going by the agenda. There's no one asking what time it is. Our priority is just freeness. We're not doing But then again, some of you on vacation, you're like, no. We ask what time it is because we have tickets. And we don't want to be late because we're on a schedule. And we got to see things and do things. And we, we're going to have fun. It's going to be fun. And we're going to do fun things, right? And maybe that's the way you do it. We all know that what you love and what you cherish and what you do, these are your priorities. And so for some of the kids, your priorities this summer might be swimming and skateboarding, and it might be baseball, and it might be uh, Fortnite. For some of the bigger group, yours might be, we're going to make the next viral TikTok video. So we're going to dream as a family and think that up. And that might be what you're spending your time doing. For others, it's your career. For some, it's your family. For some, it's your health. For some, it's the news. We all have different things. And here's where I'm going. This is really a continuation of the sermon from last week where we said your faith should line up with your works. What you say you believe and what you actually do, they should be in alignment. As a church, we're the same. What we say we prioritize with our mouths should line up with what we focus in on when we come together and we gather together. It should line up with what we do all throughout the week, right? That's the priority of this church. So this COVID-19 time is a time unlike any time we've ever faced before, which is why this series is so important. We're starting a brand new sermon series today in the book of Psalms. I am... Pastor Billy, and I'm your campus pastor here. It is so, so good to be with you. Take your Bibles, open up to Psalm 1. Psalm number one in your Bible. Now, as you're turning to Psalm 1, I I just want to correct something real fast. Because I think sometimes, and I even saw it in the video, I saw like a little picture of it. Sometimes those of you who have been around the Bible for a long time, when you think of the book of Psalms, you think of that place where you take your Bible and you go find a hillside overlooking some water. And you sit there and your hair is blowing in the wind. And it's it's just the perfect day. And the flowers are kind of doing this in the wind. And you open up your Bible and there's a harp playing behind you. It's just beautiful, right? And I think that's kind of what we think sometimes when we think of Psalms. Yet, when we study the book of Psalms, what we find is we find this deep community-driven focus. This deep community-driven focus. And, And what I mean is there's a constant response from the people, where we say we're going to lament together, right? We're hurting together. There's this place where we say we repent, we, we turn from doing sinful things together. We celebrate, there's the Psalms of Ascent, right? I'm on my way to this place of worship, and we're on our way together. We're doing, but there's this community-driven focus all throughout the book of Psalms that I don't want us to miss, which I think has made this COVID crisis so difficult, hasn't it? Because the first time I know in my lifetime that all of a sudden churches could not gather in person, the online gathering became so, so, so vital. But you know, as much as we place an emphasis on making sure that the mix was right online or um, Gabe spent a lot of time in my living room making sure that my background looked just right and all the chip bags were put away, you know, we wanted to make sure that that all that looked... Even though we spent a lot of time trying to make sure all that was ready over the past three month stay-at-home time, there was one question that you guys asked me over and over and over. Pastor, when are we going to be able to get back together again? When, When can we gather in the building together again? Because we really, really miss it. And as much as you appreciated all the other stuff, you really ached. And that's what this series is about, Assembly Required. This is the church declaring our conviction of the importance of the church assembling and gathering together. With that said, this morning, more than half of our church, you're going to be watching from Facebook. Uh, We've been working hard to make sure we can get our services online, so we're streaming live right now. And so to all of you, I want you to know that this sermon series is also for you. You're staying at home for a variety of reasons, right? There's all kinds of reasons why you're staying at home right now. But I know that there will be a day. I'm fully trusting there's going to be a day when you're going to say either the numbers have come down enough. There's a lean from the Lord. We feel like the protection is enough at the church. But there's going to be something happen where you're going to say it's time. My hope is that all of us, those here, those in the overflow room, those online, that every single one of us will say this series Moved us to that place of saying, I hunger and desire more than ever and appreciate the beauty of when we assemble. So let's kick off. We're going to start in Psalm 1, starting in verse number 1. Let's read the word together. The psalmist writes this. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So Psalm 1 is pulling out the importance of the Word of God. We have a choice. We can value and meditate on God's Word or we can reject it. I mean, that's your choice, right? That's it. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the, in the middle. You can value and meditate on God's Word or you can reject it. And that brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that we gather to delight in God's Word, we gather to delight in God's Word. So then I got to ask the question, because sometimes, you know what I think? I think we're really good at talking about the lofty things sometimes in church, right? Let's talk about things up here. I don't think we always apply it really well, and so today I want to spend the whole rest of time talking about how do I apply it, because this says that we're going to gather and delight. Okay, we gather, we delight, and then what? Like, like how does it impact your life? We gather, we delight, and then what? And so the psalmist is going to show us three ways Three ways that we are impacted when we gather and delight. The first thing we're going to see is that the word's going to bring a blessing. It's going to bring blessing. Look again at verse 1 and 2. It starts off with that word, blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So your choice, do I value and meditate on God's word or do I reject it? This says that those who reject God's word, there's three groups. They're going to be wicked, they're going to be sinners, they're going to be scoffers. And so we have God's word. Picture this. We have God's word. And you can center your life right here. You know from your study of the Bible, especially the Sermon on the Mount, that word blessed, it literally translates to happy, doesn't it? The word blessed literally translates happy. So this says our happiness is found when we center our lives on God's word. But see, there's groups. There's three groups mentioned. And what they do is they try to get away from God's word and find their happiness out here. I'm going to go find my happiness somewhere else. The more I can get my independence from God, the more I can move away from God, the more I can find my happiness. That's what they're trying to do. That's been happening since Adam and Eve, hasn't it? Consider this, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They were like right here. They had everything around them was God's. They were right in the center of God's will, right in the center of God's creation. Everywhere they looked, everything. Church was permissible. But the Lord said there's this one thing. One thing. And what did they do? Well, I want to find happiness, and I'm going to find it outside of God, so I'm going to come over here to this one thing. And from that moment until their death, they continued to move away from God's ways, trying to find their happiness. And I would argue this, that the further they went away from God's word, the further they went away from God's happiness. Same is true for us, isn't it? That's what sin does. Sin causes a separation, this chasm between us and God. And when you do that, you're moving away from the happiness that we can find in the Lord. From that joy that we can find in the Lord. When we're off seeking our own independence, we align ourselves with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. Then verse 2 shows that this person makes the law their delight. And he says, on this, you're going to meditate day and night. You're going to meditate day and night. So last September, this church went on a mission trip to Ecuador. right? And you guys have heard some of the stories from that. Ecuador, one of the days that we were in Ecuador, I think it was Sunday afternoon. I think it was Sunday afternoon. Uh, We went and we did the touristy thing, right? And so on the touristy thing, we went to this place that was on the equator because Ecuador is on the equator. If you take your globe and you look at the bottom part of your globe and the top part of your globe and where that tape line is that holds it together in the middle, that's the equator, right? So we literally were right in the middle of the earth and this park or whatever you call the thing it was kind of intriguing because they set up a sink full of water, right? And they're like, this is on the equator. And they pull the plug and the water goes whoosh, straight, like just straight down. There's no swirl. And then they come over here like five feet and you're like you're in the northern hemisphere now. And they pull the plug and it, does, it swirls whatever direction. And then they go over here to the southern hemisphere and they pull the plug and it swirls the other Direction, Which was kind of cool. And then we walked around and we looked at some more stuff and we went in this little hut. And inside this little hut, this woman was showing us how to make chocolate. Yeah, I know. Because they have, the, and I didn't know this going in, they have some of the world's best dark chocolate in Ecuador. I don't even like dark chocolate, y'all. I don't, it doesn't taste very good. But I was all about it because this woman is like, taste this, this is the bean. And you taste it, you're like, tastes more like a banana, you know? And then you're tasting as they start to dry it out and mush it up and they add this and add that. And before you know it, they have chocolate. All of a sudden our team, we're thinking about chocolate, right? Even people who didn't like chocolate, we're thinking about it because we need to take gifts home to Amy because she does like dark chocolate. And so (laughs) each day we would work really, really hard and then we would eat dinner and then we had all these chocolates all over the place so we could snack on them, you know? Because you need to to figure out is it better to eat the chili infused or the sea salt? You know, which is better? The sea salt is better, indeed. And then you taste the lemongrass, which is gross. The lemongrass, like, why did they think of that as a flavor? You know, someone's like, this would be a great flavor, lemongrass, let's eat it, you know? And anyway, so there's a lemongrass flavor or Andean blueberry. Like, why are we having a trial for that? The blueberry is going to be better, right? And so you're tasting all these chocolates, and and we're just thinking about all the time. And you guys know what that's like. Because some of you right now, you've got a garden. I've been watching on your Facebook feeds. You've got a garden, and you've got your cucumbers going, and your tomatoes going. You're trying to figure out. You're thinking through, how do I keep the rabbits out of there? And how do I keep the weeds? And I don't want to put a lot of chemicals on my stuff. And how do I, and why is my squash only that big? You know, what do I, what's going on there? And you're thinking about, or a home project You have all this lumber and all this flooring and all this, and then you go in your house, and you're like, my house isn't square. Not even kind of. Like, there's not a right angle in my house. And so how do I do this in a way that makes it not look weird, you know, and you're thinking about it all the time? What the psalmist is saying is the Word of God should be what we find ourselves thinking on day and night. This is not supposed to be a one hour on Sunday event. This should be something that really consumes us. That's where we find our place right here, where we are thinking on day and night God's word. That's what keeps us from coming over here doing our own thing and going our own reality. Because here's the reality, and I talked about this on Facebook Live earlier this week the reality is. If you find yourself continuing trying to find your independence over here, no longer is it the church that's discipling you. Your discipleship isn't happening here. Your growth in the Lord isn't happening with people you're sitting next to right now. Your growth in the Lord starts to become CNN or Fox News. Your growth tends to be, I'm going to trust Twitter or Facebook. Your discipler becomes whoever this loudest voice is in your life over here. And I guess my question is, do you find that in your life that's a place where you find your joy in the Lord? Or is it a place that leads to a whole lot of other emotion that's not of the Lord? That's the struggle that we have. The next thing we see is that the word brings fruitfulness. The word brings fruitfulness. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So again, the imagery is for the person that centers their life on the Word of God. The next thing we see is we see this picture of this tree, but not just a tree. It's a fruitful tree, but it's a fruitful tree that's overly abundant with life and with produce. It's Again, it's that continuation of last week's talk. Your faith and your works should align, and when your faith and your works align, there's fruit in your life, Right? There's fruit. That fruit should be the fruit of the spirit that comes out. And so this imagery, there's actually three different pictures we see. We see the first image is the tree planted by streams of water. Why streams of water? Well, because it's what's going to, if you've looked at our front lawn, it almost looks like a hayfield because it hasn't had a lot of rain. It's dry. The Lord's taking care of that right now, isn't he? Right? It's going to look so much better. Dry by tomorrow and look at the lawn. It's going to look great. This is saying that tree should be a tree that is firmly planted. And I love that. Planted means it didn't happen by accident. It wasn't because a bird dropped the seed randomly somewhere. No, planted means someone placed it there. It was put there. Put your life intentionally by streams of water. That's where the growth is going to happen. It's what Jesus talked about in John 15. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. To the disciples, he said, you're the branches. Well, branches off the vine, they die. They can't survive. They can't produce fruit without the vine. And so Jesus literally says, he's the vine. They're the branches. This is the same kind of a picture. we these trees that should be planted near those streams of water. That's where the nourishment comes from. And then he says, based on that, it's going to yield fruit in its season. Now we have all these orchards around, so we understand trees that produce fruit. We understand apple trees and peach trees and go up to Traverse City and see all the cherry trees, right? This makes sense to us. We understand that when you are near the water, like you're supposed to be, when you get the nourishment you need, you're going to produce Fruit, or if you're not near the water, there's going to be a lack of fruit. You're going to be a tree not producing the fruit that you're supposed to, which brings up the last point, its leaf does not wither. Leaf not withering, this isn't isn't talking about fall. This is talking more about a drought, right? When, When the water is removed from you. This, I think, we also understand because we face times of adversity, don't we? You face times of adversity. You face times of challenge. And I would say, hey, let's look at this year and have you faced any adversity or challenge this year? Reality is look in the mirror and you'd say, I got a whole lifetime full of challenge, right? My whole life I've had adversity. I've had challenge. I've had this. And the beauty to this is it's saying that even in those times of adversity, Even in those times of challenge, we're still going to be fruit producing, even in those times of challenge. And he sums it up this way. He says, and all he does, he prospers. Now, when the psalmist says this, he doesn't mean he prospers in that you're going to get lots of money or you ain't never going to get sick. That's not not what he's talking about. This is not a prosperity gospel. Again, this is saying that even when the challenge comes, there's going to be fruit we are going to be people who know the right standing we have with God because of how we are rooted deeply in the Word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that is so encouraging to me. Now, here's the impact. When we as a church come together, and our priority is on the Word of God, and that does not go without saying, right? It does not go without saying that because we're a church, we're deeply rooted in the Word of God. We could could be the opposite. We could have church on the outside come together and do what Pastor Doug used to call mission drift. We could mission drift and be about all kinds of things that's not about the gospel. And maybe they're good things, but they're not the gospel. We have got to continue to be this church that focuses on the gospel. Otherwise, we can have a lot of people. We can have a lot of activities. We can have a lot of ministries. And Scripture tells us we will wither. We will wither. Maybe not day one. Maybe not day two but it will not be long-lasting fruit. See, this is why some of you, you're cautious to go on vacation because you work so hard to get that lawn looking green. You work so hard to get all your flowers planted and your trees all trimmed up and looking nice. And you know, if I go away for 10 days and I don't... Did that just flash at me? All right. If the lights go out, don't freak out. I'm just gonna keep preaching. Like, microphone or not, we're just gonna keep going. We'll just raise the windows up a little bit. We'll see. Those downstairs, Ben's going to start preaching. It's going to be awesome because he's heard it once. He'll be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we didn't plan for this. So I'm just, I just warned him. So Ben, now you've been warned. Um, <laughs> no, but really, I think sometimes we're cautious about going because we know if we leave with all that money and all that time we spent, those flowers will be crispy after 10 days of no water. But here's what you know, if they get the nourishment they need, if they get the water they need, it is a long-lasting season for them, isn't it? They're beautiful for a long, long time if you just take care of them. It's the same true for us. As a church family, we continue to be fruit-producing as long as we stay rooted near the waters. The last thing we see is that the Word brings salvation. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the final three verses in this psalm, they're, they're tough. Because they show us how disastrous a life can be that chooses to move away from the word of God. It says in verse 5 that... That they will not stand in the judgment. The wicked or the sinners, as they're called in this last line of verse 5, will not be included with the company of the righteous. They will be under God's judgment. Verse 6 says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is why we stay rooted in the word of God. It's why we stay firmly planted right here. It's why we continue to assemble together and meet, because we remind each other the way of a right standing with God. The way of a right standing with God is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. The thing is, I think that we hear, we hear that, and sometimes when you move away from the Word of God, that sounds tough to swallow. But like, if you knew there's a fire in your house and that fire extinguisher is the only way that you can safely get out, you don't hesitate to grab the fire extinguisher. Or if you're sick. And the doctor says, okay, this shiny red pill, if you take this shiny red pill, it's going to rescue you and save you. And you're going to feel better. And this disease is going to be, well, you're going to take the red pill, right? You're going to be like, okay, let's take it. Let's get on with this. The Word of God in Romans 10 lays out the only way of salvation. It lays out that the way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. That for someone to take the necessary steps leading to faith for true salvation to occur... They must believe in the gospel. But it says, how can they believe in the gospel unless someone comes to them and they hear the gospel? They can't hear the gospel unless someone preaches the gospel. And someone can't preach the gospel unless they're sent. But then the result is Romans 10, 9, and 10 that says this. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. Church, we all have 24 hours in a day. We prioritize. We prioritize what we spend our time talking about and thinking about and doing. My hope is ours continues to be the word of God. I'll leave you with a quick story. And, um, in high school, I played football, and the way that it worked is on, during the seventh hour of the day, we would all get into our cars, and we'd go from the high school to the middle school, because I know a high school did not have a football field. We had to go over to the middle school where the football field was. And um, it really wasn't that big of a deal to drive across town, because town only had one stoplight, and it wasn't even a real stoplight. It was like a blinky red light, you know? And so it was like a four-way. I don't know why they didn't just put a four-way stop and call it good, but they didn't, it was a blinky red light, and uh, so one day, we're going over to the middle school for football practice, and half the guys, we didn't have cars, right, so I'm riding in the, co- in the car with Mike Welch, who had this sweet Nova, like his car, it was like this gold dust color, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty sweet, anyway, in front of us was, I called him Jonesy, Jason Jones, who is this red-headed, freckled-faced guy, and uh, Gabe Taylor, and so they're in the truck in front of us, and uh, Gabe starts to go over the train tracks, and when he started to go over the, not all our cars were good cars, you know, and so he started to go over the tracks, and his truck died, right in the middle of the train tracks, it, it died, and uh, that's when, you know, the ding, 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 things, like they came down, ding, 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 and a lot of times, and I know all of those things will go down, and it'll make the sound, and you look, and you're like, there ain't no train. So you just wiggle around them and keep going. It's Inola. That's what people did. Don't do that, ever. Like when you grow up kids, that's a bad thing. Just wait. Wait for the things to go up. Huh? No, like, you're smarter than that. No, that's good. <laughs> They're here all day, guys. Okay. They're smarter than that. Gabe was not smarter than that. So Gabe Taylor and Jason Jones are sitting on the train tracks. The things go down. It's blinking Jonesy because the train is coming. There is a for real train. It's got a happy ending. Don't worry. There is a train coming. Jonesy jumps out of the truck and he runs and gets in the car and he's like, "That boy's crazy, you know." And he's like, "I ain't, I ain't sitting and dying with him, you know. I'm, I'm moving back here." And uh, of course, the truck gets started and. Gabe goes on to practice and all is well. But I want to draw your attention to the response of Jason Jones. Because that should be us. Jones, in that moment of nervousness, in that moment of panic, you know what he said? He said, I want to be with my brothers. I want to be with these guys. I'm going to this place of safety where I know I'm going to be safe. Now, what we all should have done is push the truck off the tracks and everybody's safe, but we all just sat there watching like I can't believe what's going on. Here's here's what I want. As as we as a church continue to assemble, as we continue to gather, whether it's in person or whether it's online, we should be quick to encourage one another to that place of safety. We should be quick to encourage one another in Christ's likeness. We should be quick to encourage one another to continue to stay rooted with deep roots near the living water. We should be people who continue to encourage each other in what it means to love the Lord our God and love our neighbors ourselves. And that's messy. Can I just say that? That's messy. That's not always easy to do, is it? To love God so much you do what he says to do. To be faithful in that calling because it's easy to get caught up with the noise of the world. Let's continue to allow our discipleship to happen through the word. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that continues to encourage us to stay deeply rooted in your word. Lord, I thank you for the church family, young and old. Lord, that you bring all of us together. We are such, such a beautiful picture of who you called us to be when we assemble whether it's online or in person, when we come together, intentionally lift high the name of Jesus, whose name is above every name. Lord, I pray for continued faithfulness to your gospel truth, that we don't allow any mission drift to ever sneak in. God, we're quick to love each other. We're quick to encourage each other. We're quick to sharpen each other. Lord, will you forgive us for those times that we allow the noise of the world to distract us away from your ways. Will you forgive me, Lord, for those times when I try to find happiness anywhere else but in you? Let us, as a, as a church, as your church, continue to declare that it's your name, it's your renownness, the desire of our hearts. Lord, we thank you and we praise you today in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.